0: Thanks to our friends at The Hollywood Show for their help with this episode of Talking About Cars with Randy Cardoon. See more at HollywoodShow.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities. I'm Randy Cardoon, and this week I talk with IndyCar driver Joseph Newgarden, currently third in the IndyCar driver standings after Scott Dixon and previous Talking About Cars guest and Long Beach Grand Prix winner Alexander Rossi and former actress and model Victoria Vetri, who went under the name of Angela Dorian in 1968 when she was named Playmate of the Year by Playboy. Boy Magazine and was given a pink 1968 American Motors AMX, the two-seat version of the Javelin that debuted that year. Yes, and that is the same car we talked with current co-owner Mark Melvin about a couple of episodes back. Vetri's story is odd, sad, funny, revealing, and optimistic at the same time. I caught up with Vetri at the Hollywood show in Los Angeles where I asked her, what kind of car does she remember her parents having?
1: Uh, cadillac
0: do you remember what year or so
1: oh yeah it was a 1960 and i had a 1968 playmate of the year car
0: which we're going to talk about okay. because that too is interesting but i wanted to find out what was your first car do you remember
1: oh yes i had an austin Healy and i loved it and i used to race it around then later i got an austin Healy sprite i ended up getting a 1955 porsche speedster i love sports cars i even had a jeep which i've given to my son And, uh, yeah, I love cars. Wow.
0: What car were you taking to the prom in? To the what? A prom.
1: A prom. Did you ever go to prom? No. Why not? Because I was too busy working as an actress. I started very young. (laughs) How young were you? I was about 12 years old when I started pretending I was a teenager. And I'd get the tutor on set or something, and I'd go... No, sorry, uh, you know, I, I don't need a tutor and this and that. I started looking older and this and that. I made it to the 10th grade at Hollywood High. And then I started just doing more and more films. And next thing I knew, uh, I educated myself. I did go to UCLA for a while and sit in classes and all. So I'm not that, duh, stupid, you know what I mean. But I <laughs> but I uh, I love acting and I, I love, and it's my career and I'm right back at it.
0: So eventually you became involved with Playboy and about the time... I would say er, mid 60s Donna Michelle uh, was the one who had the first playmate of the year vehicle 64 and a half 65 Ford Mustang. Joe Collins came after that and she had a 65 Sunbeam Tiger et cetera, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you were named playmate of the year for 1968 if I'm not. Do you remember, were you curious since everybody else got a car? Did you have any idea what car they'd be giving you when you were named? I had
1: no idea, but I'm the only one in history that had it up until uh, about seven years ago. I sold it finally, and I was the first playmate to have it all. That well, it got black and bashed in. Thank you, dear ex-husband that I've just divorced. But anyway, uh, now it is shiny pink, and guess who's? I have photos of guess who's driving it, Jay Leno.
0: That's right. That's right. He did drive it, although it's owned by somebody else. He had it. I
1: thought he owned it at one point when I got that photo. And somebody said, Oh, I didn't know that. I just found out the other day.
0: So you've seen it then?
1: Yes, and I have pictures of Jay Leno driving it. And I oh, went
0: so much for the time. spoiler. I had the <laughs> pictures of it, and I was going to show it to you and <laughs> say, like, you know, the story was because Jay on his show had Mark Melvin, who was a co-owner of the car, and he brought it on. And one of the things Mark said out of the off the top of his head, as he told us on our podcast here, oddly enough, just a few shows ago. Yeah, I I remarked on a, this, this car was a you know Jay Leno Jay Leno's Garage video and i had kind of joked with jay like well i'd make a great news story if i were to pick her up on the doors of the prison when she got out you know it'd make a great story and it would and so
1: and i'm free now by the way yes so
0: so for those of you who didn't know you spent a little time
1: yeah i was incarcerated for i shot my husband but i didn't shoot the president no he's 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 alive and wants me back but uh seriously yeah and he came to visit me in jail I'll never forget i was he got me hooked on drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. And I gave up my career, and I just stayed inside and became insignificant. And uh, he was missing for two months, and I didn't know where he was. And when he came back, he said, Oh, hand me the guitar. Uh, give me my guitar strings. And I opened this little thing, and there's girls' panties in there. And I went, What is this about? Well, the irony of it is is that he has a whole thing on this fan base that I watch in class now. And he says that, uh, well... He, it's he, he, really funny. I didn't recognize him, okay? He never had all these tattoos on his arms and his hair long. And I said, oh my God, that doesn't even look like him anymore. And I found out that they weren't just girls' panties. He goes both ways now. And they were, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, I divorced him. But he wanted me to remarry him. I said, no. I said, I'm sorry, I've had enough. So I was stuck with Victoria, Victoria Vetri, Rathkin, like the wrath of God. I went, thank God. So I'm free now, and uh, I'm looking back and as, as I'm sitting here I'm signing autographs that I've never seen so many photos in my life and I'm getting two agents that want to sign me up and I'm going to go back into the business and do my acting and you know every the beauty of it is that being arrested I found sobriety and I also found being a believer again and now that I'm a believer I feel like a real human being and it, everything happens for a good reason and I'm really feeling Like I'm real now instead of somebody that's doing, you know, math and das and das. Oh, my God. I was ruining my life.
0: That's really great. So we talked to the guys and and Mark talked to Jay. And Jay, he told him we wanted to pick Victoria up from prison in the car. So, yeah, exactly.
1: Am A-Max?
0: Yes. That was the initial idea. Oh, my God. However, so April comes along, Spring Fling, which is a Chrysler show in Van Nuys. Mark comes with the car. I interview him for the podcast. He says, well, and we had this conversation. I asked him about that situation. He said, yeah, but we don't know when she's getting out. After we did the interview, I called the prison system. You had been released nine days earlier.
1: Oh, that's right. I don't have you know, no more ankle monitor. And it's amazing. But everything happens for a good reason. If I hadn't been incarcerated, I wouldn't be feeling as good as I do right this minute.
0: I got to know, though, when you first knew you were getting the car, all the Playmates had pink cars. Yeah. So it was an interesting idea and a nice marketing idea. What did you think about having a pink car, not only pink, but the Playmate of the Year car? Was it, was it, was it cool? Was it a pain in the butt? What was it?
1: Well... I've always had stick shifts. I had a little Porsche 55 Speedster, Sprite, and this and that, and the Jeep I gave to my son. But when I drove in the car for the first time, I went to Palm Springs. I must have been doing as fast as it would go, which was 80 miles, but I had the engine rebuilt. And I hear, I look in the rearview mirror, I go, oh my God, the cop pulls me over, he goes, are you who we think we are, who we, who we think you are? I says, well, yeah. And I go, can I show you something? And I open the trunk of the car, and there's a big stack of Playmates in there. And I said, you want one of these? He said, what are you trying to do? Give us this, so we'll give you a ticket. I said, no, I just wanted to show you. Yes, I am who I, well, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to write you a ticket for doing 70 instead of 80. I went, oh, thank you. (laughs) I've never been able to talk my way out of a ticket, even in my Porsche, you know, and I wasn't going that fast. But
0: Playmate of the Year couldn't talk her way out of a ticket. No. (laughs) You need to take... Need to take uh...
1: I painted it black because, oh, I got tired. Every time I'd see a, car, a cop, you know, I do the pink. No, it was just automatically attracted to, you know, who I was. And so it, it was a brown at one time and ended up black, all black and bashed in when I gave it to these people. And I just, when I saw that, I went, oh, my God, it's back to... It's these people for $6,000. I have photos of them putting it all back together again in one piece, and it looks br- it's a little more shocking pink than it was. But when I saw the picture of Jay Leno driving it, I went, oh, my God. <laughs> but that's, anyway, yeah.
0: That's very cool. That's very, Did you ever have conversations with the other playmates of the year about having pink cars? Was that ever an issue for them, too?
1: No. As a matter of fact, there's a playmate here. I can't remember her name now. I just met her again in the bathroom, and we talked about pink cars and all, but I'm, I don't know.
0: it was it was another day of course. it was another time. Yeah. I mean yeah. nowadays you drive a pink car all over the place. you got all sorts of nutcases following oh, you around bad. and that kind of thing.
1: No, thank you. Yeah, but,
0: but. <laughs> so you were telling me you had one well, of the only playmates that actually kept the car for an extended period of time.
1: Yeah, until I just got incarcerated because my instincts were right. I knew something was going to happen and I sold it all black and bashed in. And then I started getting all these photographs that they're sending me in jail of piece by piece and part by part. And I watched them slowly put the car all back together again. And it looks phenomenally, I mean, like it's brand new. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me feel good. And whoever has it, I thought Jay Leno owned it when I saw that. But now I found out, no. So I went, you know what, whoever has it, let them enjoy it. But I I don't want anybody caught dead driving a pink car anymore.
0: Okay, now I'm looking it up here. I do have it because we actually used it. We used it there yeah, it is. Let me uh, let me turn it sideways.
1: Yes, that's it. And look at a shocking pink. It is the same, and the same driver's license. It is. It is oh, it's amazing. Yeah, that's what amazed me when I saw that. Does
0: so let that make you want to buy it back?
1: No. No? No. Why not? Because I painted it black again, cause so every cop wouldn't pull me over. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Somebody told me the other day, that I wanted to see this so badly again, that those they put your... Your uh, measurements on there. I'm not 307. 307. Miles. I could
0: vouch for that. 307. They actually put your measurements on it on the license plate.
1: That's what somebody told me. Said so I got to see my license plate one day, and here I am looking at it. What's 307 stand for?
0: I'm here, and not that I'm being rude or discourteous. <laughs> taking a quick, furtive glance, I don't see any 307 anywhere. It's no, I know it's in the license plate, but oh. I can't equate 307 to you unless it's some sort of like art thing
1: baseline and seven hips no it no, doesn't wa- no, no, that no, it won't happen actually, yeah. okay I'm glad we figured that one out Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: this actually looks like for the most part like you said a little pinker it but is. for the most part
1: I like the more subtle uh, faint pink that they mm-hmm. had but it looks I can't believe it looks brand new like but that
0: you, you don't want it back but you would take a ride in it
1: I'm, yeah I might I can't afford to buy it back uh huh I don't think. I mean, Not until
0: you're back in acting for a little while longer. That's true. Get your own sitcom.
1: I might get a whole new car. You never know. Huh? That's true. But you know what? All the cars look alike these days.
0: Okay, let me ask you this then. And we even asked this of other people that we talked to. Top two or three cars you'd love to have if money was no object.
1: Porsche. I'll never forget my 55 Porsche Speedster. It would have to be a Porsche. Even a new one. I love Porsches. Uh-huh. And, that's very cool. Yeah.
0: And if you couldn't find a Porsche, what would it be then?
1: XKE, Jaguar.
0: <laughs> I love it that you're just throwing it out there. You're not even thinking about it. No,
1: I, I love I love little sports cars. And I used to have a sprite that I, Austin Healy sprite that I won the award in at Carmel when they were actors and actresses and playmates doing the thing. I came in second. So, you know, I, I love cars.
0: What, what was that competition? What was that?
1: It was for uh, playmates and actresses, and it was a little race up in Carmel. And I came in second. Who won? I forget. I don't even remember her.
0: Actress, playmate.
1: Yeah, she was a playmate. And it broke my heart. I thought, oh, I was playmate of the year. I don't know. <laughs> but it was it was just fun just doing it. You should have gotten a
0: head start, if nothing else.
1: I know, but I didn't. Mm. But if I get in a car again, I, I, well, my racing days are over. You know, I'm going to drive very carefully now.
0: That's Victoria Vetri, a.k.a. Angela Dorian, who the day after we did this interview did get a chance to take a ride in her old pink AMX with our pal Mark Melvin from Talking About Cars 117. You can see a picture of that, by the way, on our website, TalkingAboutCars.net. And now, straight from Studio 25 here on his way to the ESPYs in Los Angeles some time ago, let's bring in our next guest, the one, the only IndyCar driver, Joseph Newgarden. Thank you for having me, man. It's interesting that on our program, and I don't want to say this is like a good luck charm or anything, but let's see. We had Rossi, Alexander Rossi in here. Uh, some time ago, we had Brian Hunter Ray. We had him on the show when we first started. So, so far, with you in the house, we've had three of the top four guys in IndyCar. That's so, what I was
2: going to say. You got top 5 guys in here. That's yeah. that's who you're bringing in. That's good. This is good. I it, think this is a good it, thing. It's not easy to be top 5 in the IndyCar series. It's it's really not. It's actually quite difficult nowadays. Um so that's good. So w- that, why hopefully it, we stay there. So,
0: yes, <laughs> that's my point. We have to sit there and keep you here. So that's a good thing. So welcome to the show. What does it take really? to be in the top five because you've had some really great success in IndyCar and, and you went up through the ranks and all that stuff. What, what does it take, in your opinion?
2: Everything's got to line up. I mean, it, it takes consistency, which is a little cliche. You say, well, you be consistent, you can, you can win a championship. But a lot of that's true. You've got to be consistent to some degree. Um, the way the points work in IndyCar now, it's actually more weighted towards winning. So if you win races, it actually rewards you, which I like. You know, so even if you're very consistent and a guy just wins a couple more races than you, he might be in the championship because it's weighted to, you know, help winners more than it is consistent top five finishers. But there's a blend there. You can't just win races and have DNFs on, you know, the other two or three. You've got, you've got to have a really nice blend of wins. And some top five. so that and that's hard to do in in today's day and age in IndyCar. For those of you who don't know, DNF means does not finish. That's yes, yes. I, I
0: get I get used to my little sayings and racing. It's the world. I get it. No, I understand completely. So, for example, uh, as we do this, you had three wins this year. Yes. Last year you had four, and you won the whole shebang as far as the drivers' championship.
2: That's right. Yeah. So we're trying to catch it. the The thing is, last year though we had more podiums up to this point, and a podium is a you know top three position on a race weekend. Uh, we finished last year with with nine podiums, four wins. Right now, the only podiums I have are my wins. You know, if you're, you're on, you win a race, you're on the podium. Clearly, um, so we've got to have better finishes outside of winning races. And and for whatever reason, there's there's a couple races we should have finished second, third, a um, couple more seconds, and then they they end up turning into ninths or sevenths. And when you have races where you should finish second or third and they turn into a ninth or a seventh, that really kills your average for the year. You know, those are the type of races that make or break your championship. So these last five races of the year, I think for us to make a jump to the top position, we've got to clean that up Hmm. because that's what it's going to take. If we don't clean those up and we continue to have ninths or sevenths on the days where we're not winning... It's, it's just not going to be enough at the end of the day.
0: Well, you had that issue last time in Toronto where the car ended up having issues and, and you ended up crashing. But you really haven't had a lot of that
2: this year. Not a ton, I mean, we haven't had a ton of wrecks. We've just had days where, you know, we're running up front, we're running second, or we're leading, like Toronto. Toronto, Toronto we're leading the race, and then, you know, that potential win or podium just turns into a ninth. And and that's no
0: podium for ninth.
2: Yeah, yeah what just, do they
0: call it if you're in like ninth place? Top ten. Top. You 10. get a oh, solid okay. top ten.
2: You know, <laughs> that's they reward you with a nice, good job. Top ten.
0: Yeah, but that's the podium is one through three. Top ten is nice. That's kind of like the equivalent of what a participation trophy or something like that. oh uh, it's
2: better. It's better than that. You know, I think if okay, uh, if you get a top, your top fifteen is probably hey. You were here. You you did all right. You know, out of twenty two cars, twenty three cars, you you were there. You were there. A uh, uh, top top tens are solid. Okay, that's uh, good. top fives are really really good. Mm-hmm. And then those podiums—if you can just stay in the podium range, then you're you're kicking butt. That's mm-hmm. that's hard to do week in and week out.
0: We're going to turn the wayback machine here, and we're going to go back to when Joseph was. Uh, we lad and chat a little bit about the cars you saw growing up and even before you got your very first car I'm sure there was somewhere along the line dad or uncle or somebody else in your life Showed you a car and you grew up in Tennessee, correct?
2: Yeah, Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and so what car really struck you growing up? Maybe the first car you saw that you went whoa, what's that?
2: Mm, what car? Well, my grandfather loved cars. He actually collected some cars um, when when he was, you know, in his forties and fifties. He had a, he had a decent little car collection. He had like a he had a couple of midgets. He had um, uh, he had a couple Corvettes. He had a couple Jags that he was very into. Um, some really nice classic Vets uh, that that he was a big fan of. So it's kind of funny now, actually, because I'm in the Chevy family in IndyCar. We've we got Honda and Chevrolet who compete as manufacturers and. My grandfather was always a, a Chevy guy, so I, I don't. This is not a plug. It's just like it's funny how it works out. You know, I grew up one day and became that. But I don't know. I mean, the first car, I would truly the first car I really fell in love with was um, was an E46 M3. I mean, I just I loved that version of of the M3, and you know, I was probably 13 at the time. I can't remember when the E46 came out. Um, but it, And for
0: those of you who don't know what the E46 M3
2: is. It's just a version of the M3. Obviously, I don't even remember when the, the first M3s came out, but the E46s, I, th- I think that, that series of the M3 came out in 2002. BMW so, M3. Got yeah, it. Got so it. BMW M3. Um, and, and this 2000, I believe it was a 2003 E46 that I just, oh my gosh, I fell in love with it. I was probably... 13, yeah, I was 12 years old, 13 years old. It was my favorite car, and I just fell deeply in love with, with what it was. Um, so I, we're talking about cars. That's probably the first car I fell in love with. Now, racing-wise, I fell in love with race cars for sure, like, like you're talking about. I, when I saw Indy cars on TV and I watched the Indianapolis 500, I, I, I was more drawn to the vehicle itself than the actual drivers. You know, and everyone's different. They either have racing heroes or they have cars that were the heroes. The cars themselves were always so fascinating to me and that's why I wanted to become an open wheel driver. Because I watched I watched sports cars, NASCAR, Formula One, IndyCar, and, and open wheel cars to me were the coolest because they didn't look like anything else. You know, when you look at a, a stock car, it looks like a sedan, you know, that right. you could you could drive on the road. Um, sports cars were more similar to that. But then when you look at an open wheel car, it just looks like something out of out of space. You know, it looks like a jet fighter. It doesn't look like something you could drive on the road and to me that was actually the more attractive thing and it's funny when you look at race series now because like stock car for instance they, they the way their model has has worked is that they're relatable right you know mm-hmm. you drive you you root for whoever earnhardt junior you know right. and he's your favorite and he drives uh, a chevy camaro and and you love him because he drives a car that you can go buy but I was actually more interested in driving the car that you couldn't go get. It was like, well, I want to drive one of those because you can't even buy that thing, right? No. Like, So that was my initial attraction to racing was the the crazy vehicles you couldn't go buy.
0: Where would you put the backup lights on those things? No, I don't think they you can't had can't fit them. Out. No, yeah. it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work at all. So you got into karting then. Was your dad got you into that, or how did that work?
2: Yeah, I—, I uh I wanted to go kart probably since I was two years old. I didn't get to actually try it till I was thirteen, mm-hmm. and I, I always wanted a yard cart. I mean, people, you know, kids know growing up, the, 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 you got these carts that are a little bit off road looking, and they're just a it's a yard cart. There's not a specific type of go kart. It's just something you can drive around the lawn, right? And that was always my dream growing up was was having one of those little carts. And I never got to try it out until I was 13. So I finally convinced my dad because it, it's not that my dad didn't love cars or vehicles. They were just very safety conscious. I don't think he wanted me to drive go-karts or get into racing because it wasn't a safe thing to do necessarily. But then finally, I think he caved when I was 13, and we, we found a go-kart track 300 miles north of Nashville because there was no go-kart tracks in Nashville when I grew up. So we had to go to Indianapolis. And uh, we went up there, and we, we did that for two, three years, man. We, we traveled 300 miles up, 300 miles back. So it's a it's a it's a long trip to be doing that every weekend with your dad. Oh well, you know it's amazing to me though.
0: Guys who are in your position in in sports, especially motorsports, the dedication of parents when they know their kid um, enjoys something, and I and I don't know with your parents, did they do it because they you, they knew you enjoyed it, or they figured somewhere down the line you could actually make money from this?
2: Mm, I think it was more the enjoyment factor of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for my dad he approached it like he approaches everything that we're going to put everything into this we can you can become a professional racer that's that's what my dad thinks though you know he's one of, but it was never one of these soccer dads he never forced me to do anything he always let me as far as the what the racing goes and the way you learn about how to drive how do you work on the carts um you know how, how do you actually race people he never got involved in that i learned all that myself and he allowed me to do that so he was never a soccer dad and, and involved but as far as the business side and thinking about how do you position yourself what do you actually have to do to one day get hired he he always had a vision that that it was possible and for me it was it was never about that in the beginning it was always like i just want to go do this because i love it i had a i had a pure love for racing and wanting to go race and so that's why i wanted to go drive go-karts but i think he had more of the forward thinking that well we need to be set up properly we need to take the right steps so that if you love this as much as you do, one day hopefully you can get hired. So he, he was a big part of my success in my career. What do you think the biggest lesson
0: was for you in that process? Because I think no matter what career you've got in everything from driving or broadcasting or anything else, when did you come up with that reality and, and when do you think you made the connection?
2: Well, there's so, there's there's too much to cover, I would say. There's so many things that help dictate if you're gonna make it or not. Right. You know, a lot of it's timing. I mean, it's. I think in anything you look at any professional athlete that has made it, okay, you can say, oh, he was just the best. He had, he had, you know, clearly the talent above everybody, so that's why he made it. Well, I've met a lot of people that have great talent that probably could have been professional race car drivers, but you know, and it's not everyone. But there's a couple examples you see that just they fall off the grid, right, and they never actually make that top step. And you have to get lucky in some ways. You know, luck plays into it, but it's also positioning, it's timing, and then it's capitalizing on that timing. So, what was your big break? You think? Um, oh, I've had cu- I've had a couple. I, I I would guess the the biggest break though was if you go back to 2010. I raced in England at that time, so you'd have to see the whole journey. But if you just look at 2010, that was my last season racing in Europe. And at the end of that year, it wasn't. It was the worst year I probably had in my junior career. And we were out of money. There was no money to go racing anymore. And then the the, the best break that I had, because I thought I was done after 2010. I was going to come back to the United States. I'm not going to race anymore because there's no money to support it. Uh, probably got to go back to college or something, you know, and get a degree in marketing or business or whatever you're going to go Musk pursue, ox right? herding. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah whatever it is, right? <laughs> uh, I got to go go work on the farm or something. Um and then I got an opportunity to drive an Indy Lights, which is the feeder series to IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, you know, this is like playing for AAA baseball or something like that. Uh, for for one of the best, the best teams at the time in Indy Lights, Sam Schmidt, he had a race team, Schmidt uh, Schmidt Schmidt Motorsports, and and he basically paid to put me in a car. He had to work on. We we did sort of an investment deal together where he. He invested into my future, you know, and that helped pay for my ride, Um, you know, forecasting that I could potentially make it right. So he paid for my ride, essentially, and I won the championship that year. And then immediately after winning that championship in 2011, I got hired from a team to drive in the IndyCar series for, for three years. I got a three year contract. And so that, just that whole process right there, that, that was a big deal to making it to the professional level. Is that Sarah Fisher? Sarah Fisher. Yeah, right. Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing was the team. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I got signed on to. And then, you know, that's just the moment you go. And it, it's not guaranteed to work out then. Right. You know, that's just like, that's the first step is getting hired, right? And then you're on you're on you're on the ground floor. And then it's all about staying there. Right. <laughs> so, well, yeah. How you many, get there's one thing, but then you
0: got to stay there. How many racers do you know that have gotten that opportunity and then just something gets pulled out from under them at the last minute? Exactly. I, mean, I yeah. mean,
2: there's a lot of stories and a lot of cases where you know, someone they got the opportunity and they got on the they got on the ground floor and they you know, they there at the professional level. But they never they never got to the top of the mountain. Then you know they were always at the base, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And they got maybe a year in the sport, and then they're kicked out.
0: And then you went to Ed Carpenter, and then of course uh, you also uh, went to Team Penske, mm-hmm. which is which is in your biz. It's kind of like the Yankees Dodgers of. IndyCar racing when yeah. it comes to team ownership.
2: I mean, you're talking LA, Dodgers, I always use the Yankees, um but we can well, use Well, the Yankees
0: have been winning more lately. <laughs> <laughs> we can use the Dodgers
2: cuz it's LA. Yeah. But it's one of these teams, you know, they they're, they're kind of like a dynasty within the sport. They've been there forever. They've they're the they're the top team uh in IndyCar, no doubt. I think they're one of the top professional teams in motorsports across the planet. You know, whatever you whatever platform you're looking at, F1, NASCAR, IndyCar. They are one of the top racing teams in the world. They've been doing it for 50 plus years. They've won more Indianapolis 500s than any other team has that's competed in the event. So Roger, he's a, he's a force to be reckoned with. And it's it's pretty cool to, to be in that organization, you know, after all this.
0: I bet. Give me the story of when you found out that's where you were going to drive next, the next year. When you found out Penske is where you were going.
2: Oh, well, I remember. So uh, this happened a couple years ago. This is my second year with Team Penske. And, and so this came up in 2016, which would have been my fifth year. I was I was in my fifth season of IndyCar racing. And it was going really well. I, I've been competing against Penske pretty strongly for, for the last two years where, we, you know, we were winning races. We were beating them every now and then. They were still tough to beat in the championship because they're just so good and so consistent. But we were right there knocking on the door. You know, we were, trying, we were beating them at the Indianapolis 500. We were kicking their butts at a couple other places. And I think that's when Roger, um, you know, saw w- what I was doing and what our team was doing and, and, and wanted to have a conversation about you know potentially coming over to his organization and i remember
0: we're tired of you beating us come to us <laughs> that's look that's
2: a lot of the way you get hired by yeah. Roger is to beat him yeah. that's really what you got to do a lot of the guys that have been hired by him they they were beating him and he wanted he then you know brings you into his organization and figures out what you were doing and brings that to his group
0: wow that's wild so let's let's go to your first car what what was your first car that uh, you ended up getting
2: my first car um well The first car I ever purchased was actually a – and I I think this is the best because I always – I just kind of drove cars around that I had. Um, or not, not had, but that I could drive when I was 16, 17. Like when I was in England, I had a loaner car that I drove around. That's This is, you know, I was 17. I moved to England to race. Mm-hmm. So I had to get a, you know, I had to just find a, I had a Subaru wagon over there to drive around. Um, and, and you then, had to learn how to drive on the other side. Exactly, which is all messed up. Yeah. They, they're very adamant they're on the correct <laughs> side of the car yes. when they're not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, Send I'm your cards not. and
0: letters too.
2: No, go ahead. And then when I came back, I, I had a... What was it, it? was a 93 Cadillac Eldorado. Oh, yeah. That's what I drove. This is a so This was your choice? I, I kinda. I mean, not was, that there's anything wrong with a '93 Cadillac Eldorado. So my gran- my grandfather had it. Um, it was a car I could use, and I used that when I drove in Indy Lights. And then, luckily, when I got hired in IndyCar, Car, you you generally get a manufacturer car to drive around. So I, when I got hired in 2012, I had a uh, I was on a Honda team, so I drove a I drove a Acura MDX. I drove that for a couple years. Um, and then when I got over to the Chevy side, you generally drive Tahoes. Um, they give you a nice Tahoe vehicle that you can drive around, um, which is great from the manufacturer. They're super kind. But the first car I ever purchased, which I took a lot of pride in, was a was a 2016 BMW M4. Ah. Now you know BMW, they, they they changed to the M4 from the M3. They still sell the M3. This M3 is the sedan version. The, right. The, M4 is the coupe, but it's it's got the when they went to the M4, it really reminded me of what I loved about the E46 M3. So that's why that's why I was telling you that's my favorite car I fell in love with. So the first car I ever purchased was an M4, and uh, and I love the thing. It was like kind of my dream car growing up. So that's that's why I wanted to purchase it.
0: When you were in high school, then you were still driving in other countries, or were you still in this area? No,
2: the the in the. the, States? the uh, the first year I drove in the States was my last year I lived here. Uh-huh. So 16, yeah, my sophomore year. And then after my sophomore year, I, I went to England.
0: Erase the story, erase the, erase the question of what he drove to his senior prom.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, so I never got there. Uh-huh. I never even went to my senior prom. You know, I, I left the country after my sophomore year. In high school, I had to finish online, uh-huh. so I, I finished my high school degree, uh, Degree, I graduated high school uh-huh. <laughs> online <laughs> through a university um, my junior and senior year. So I never got to go to prom, never did any of that. Wow. I was busy racing in Europe. So
0: the fact that the ESPYs are coming up and you're here for the ESPYs in Southern California, this very well tonight could be your prom except you're not going to get dressed up in a tux, are you? I am, I'm
2: going to put on a tux. Are you really? I'm going to go tie on the tux. Huh? So it's a little more casual.
0: Yeah, that's a cash. But thing. it's it's
2: a black tie event, you know, so there's going to be a lot of people uh you get sort of extremes with different sports, right? You know, some of the <laughs> you look at the baseball, you look at the the basketball and football guys, they have they're kind of different ends of the spectrum of how extreme they look, but I'm going to look classy enough. Got my beautiful girlfriend with me, so we're gonna we're gonna have a good time. All
0: right. Well, good for you.
2: That's gonna be cool. But by the way, speaking of parties, can we can we talk a little bit
0: about the parties? Sure. Give I, me give me your rundown because I understand you have your itinerary all set up.
2: Yeah, I'm learning about it myself. You know, I've never been out here for the ESPYs, Um so I mean, it's a huge honor just to I think be nominated for one, which is so cool. Uh It's a great recognition for what our team did last year in 2017 with the championship but yeah we're gonna go to some parties tonight i think we're going to the uh, players tribune party uh we're going to the espn heroes party as well so don't know much about them very excited to go mm-hmm. and uh yeah we're gonna i i know as much about them as you do probably i've never been to them but the coolest part about this whole deal is you get to you get to kind of interact with some of the other athletes um, who
0: do you want to see most or who do you hope you run into
2: Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know who's going to be here. I mean, you you don't know who's showing up or not. I'm sure a lot of people will. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like guys like uh, I heard, you know, my my teammate Pagno, Simon Pagno, he's a French driver on on Team Penske. He got to meet guys like Sean White, who he thought was really cool to interact with. You know, he's obviously a snowboarder, extreme sports guy. Right. Um, Who's going to be here? I don't know. I mean, um, honestly, I'm a sucker for the greats of the sport. Now, the greats are easy to hate, I find, right? Like your LeBron James, your your Tom Bradys, like people they just they're easy to hate. I find a lot of people that hate the greats. But I'm always drawn to people that find immense success within a given discipline in their sport. So, so those type of athletes if if any one of those is at the party, then I would really want to meet those type of people. So of those guys,
0: who would you want to have a coffee with? Let's say pick two guys you'd like to have a coffee with or, or something like, or lunch with to chat about things like that. I
2: mean, both of those guys, I would choose like a, or or like a Derek Jeter. If I could get to meet like a Derek Jeter, that'd be really cool. Um, You know, just because he's so respected for the way that he led a team. And so to talk to him about, you know, the way way he interacted with his group, the way he got the most out of his group around him. Those are the type of conversations I'd want to have. So, yeah, like a Derek Jeter or Tom Brady, something like that, I think that'd be really cool.
0: So you're in the category of best driver. So you're up there with uh, Martin Truex. You're up there with uh, Brittany Forrest and also Lewis Hamilton. If you were to try their sports, which is the one sport of the three you wouldn't mind trying?
2: Ooh, I'd try any of them. I I would not mind any of them. I think probably... Which one would you like the most? Yeah, I'd probably I'd probably want to do the Formula 1 thing first because that was always um, that was always something I wanted to do when I was younger. It's so similar to IndyCar. Right. You know actually we have a bit of crossover going between F1 and IndyCar. Fernando Alonso came and ran the Indianapolis 500 last year, so we've got this crossover at the moment happening between those two series. So Formula 1 would be first on my list. Then I'd want to do the NASCAR deal and then I'd want to do the NHRA stuff. Can you picture you in a top fuel or a funny car? I, I'll tell you what, it's, you think it would be easy, right? You just, it's just a big drag strip and you're just going to go four or five seconds down the drag strip. I bet it it looks very difficult. And, and from what, from what I see, the way they're crammed in there and the way they, they interact in that environment, I would be so out of my element. As a race car driver that you would think knows how to do this stuff, I would be completely out of my element in a drag car. 300 miles
0: an hour down the straightaway. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I'm
2: sorry. I <laughs> got carried
0: away there. So what do you have now in your garage?
2: What do I have in my garage? Oh, so, okay, so I just I just purchased, huh. uh, uh, a. am really happy about this one, is a Camaro ZL11 LE. Huh. Now, this is their, like, baddest Camaro that you can buy right now. And what Chevrolet did with this Camaro is they've stripped it as much as they could. It's actually still got a ton of creature comforts, but they they lightened it up. Camaros have always been heavy, right? You don't think of a Camaro as like a great track car. At least I don't, um, not the current ones. But they've lightened this thing up. It's For a Camaro, It's I think it's about 3,500 pounds. It's around that at least, so it's pretty light. Um, and then they've got a ton of aerodynamic work done on it, so they took this car to the Nurburgring and they basically tuned it around the Nürburgring to make it as quick as possible. And last year when they first introduced it, it was the quickest car Chevrolet had around it was it was beating the vets, the Z06 time that they had around the Nürburgring. It actually beat all that. So, I've been able to drive this car 3 or 4 times for different magazines to, you know, kind of tout the car for Chevrolet, and that's how it started. But when I was doing that, I actually fell in love with the car. I was like, "You guys have done so well on building this The Z011 Elite that I'm gonna buy, I have to buy one. So I ended up purchasing one earlier this year, and and I love it. So I have one of those in my garage. I have the M4. That's really it. I actually got I got gifted a uh, a Hellcat challenge. I got a Challenger Hellcat uh, Dodge Challenger, which was uh, I didn't expect to get. I I got it gifted by some really great friends. Oh, um, so that that was really cool. But um but the zl one want to lead the the Camaro is probably the coolest car I think I have right now.
0: Okay, you're contractually obligated to say that whether or not you believe it or not, but <laughs> I really do. that's the cool thing is I do
2: believe it, which is awesome.
0: <laughs> that's good. That's good. See, we also ask about the, and, and so many guys in your business and 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 celebrities per se somehow get themselves involved with challengers. And there's these levels of challenger now. Used to be Well, you want something, there's the SRT-8, and then there's just the RT. Well, wait a minute. There's the SRT with the Shaker Hood. There's the SRT with the 392 with the Shaker Hood. Then you've got the Hellcat. Then you've got the Demon. The Demon, I know, right? So (laughs) if you had a choice of the four...
2: Oh, I'd get the Demon. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, the Hellcat... Well, you're a race
0: car driver. Of course you would.
2: The Hellcat's fantastic. I think you can basically make the Hellcat what the Demon is. So I don't think it's a big deal. But the Demon's quite cool because they're, they're not making many of these. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to get away with it very long, no, I don't think. No. I'm surprised they're able to sell that vehicle. <laughs> so I would have taken a Demon, but the Hellcat is super cool. It's very nice. Um, very impressive car. Uh, but, yeah, it was just it was one of those. I didn't expect to have one of those. It's so random that I do, but it's awesome. Back about uh, when they first came out with the Dodge Magnum, which
0: was the station wagon back around, I want to say, 06, 05, something like that. Uh They came out with that, and this is just at the beginning of them doing the the Hemi engines and all this other stuff in the cars. And one day it came out, and nobody had really seen many of it until one day, and here in Los Angeles, we get chases going. And one day there was a car chase going on with the police following, and soon enough, We looked and we went, well, wait a minute, what kind of car is that? Oh, it's the Magnum. And and you saw this Magnum trying to outrun every single police car in Southern California. I'm sorry, even with the uh, big SRT8 engine, it still got caught. You can't outrun a helicopter and you can't outrun the two-way. Just thought I'd mention that. It's too heavy, man. That's the problem. that's, That's it. You go to so many different cities. What do you do... Car-wise, to be a car guy in another city aside, obviously, you're going to drive. I mean, some people will go out and they'll take a rental car out for a drive. Some people will go hit up um, car museums, that kind of thing. Do you do things like that when you're on the road?
2: It depends on the convenience. It, it Honestly, it's difficult to do much when you're in a race weekend. because you, Look, you're busy on the race weekend. You're at the track, you're at your hotel, or you're at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's really all you have time for unless you're making time, you know, before or after the race weekend, which is also difficult to do because we have so much other stuff going on uh, pre and post event. So it's tough. I mean, you know, what we get to do is we have basically all the car people come to us when you're at an event like. You know, Honda normally puts on a bunch of stuff. Chevrolet puts on a bunch of stuff. Depending on what market you're in, you'll have all these manufacturers. Um, I mean, we'll have manufacturers like Porsche put on events at different tracks that we go to, like Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's nice for us cause they, they come to us. We don't have to go to them. So you get all these car corrals that are normally set up. Detroit's actually a, a really fun one for us because we're a Chevy team. They have so many different corrals for the Corvettes and the Camaro guys, and you get to see basically all of them within the, you know, 500 mile vicinity. Um, so you get to interact like that, but Look, man, I, I, I get the fun of getting to go drive a 750-horsepower car at the racetrack on the weekend. Yeah. That's plenty of car that I need. You know, <laughs> I, I get to have the coolest job on the planet, so I'm not worried about it when I go to a race Yeah, with
0: Yeah, car. I suppose the last thing you want to do is hop around and start driving cars all over the place. <laughs> okay, I completely get that. All right, so you're young still, so this I'm going to throw the question out anyway, but cars you no longer have that if you ever had an opportunity, you'd want it
2: back cars that I no longer have. So, it th- th- would this be a existing car that I did have that I don't have anymore? Yeah. Cuz I don't I don't know that I have anything like that. I think uh or maybe a car you used to drive or like a like a Cadillac Eldorado.
0: <laughs> I don't think I'm old enough yeah I, I like need that. more time yeah I okay. need more time we'll give you a waiver. I, I gotta one.
2: like I've gotta be 10 years down the road and my M4 is gone and i will be like why did I get rid of my M4 there you go that was my dream car okay. I'll never do that I'm never gonna get rid of that car
0: everybody has a list all car guys have a list of the cars they want somewhere down the road what is the top five cars on the Joseph Newgarden list
2: Oh, man. I don't even know. I mean, there's a lot of cars. i give me I'm into, three. I'm into some pretty techie cars now. Um, like, I, I do like all the new stuff that they come out with. But everything's become so easy collectible. Like Porsche, they have so many different. This, the GT2 that they come out with, I'm really into, which my teammate, I believe, is getting. I think he's getting a Porsche GT2. Um, I would want one of those. Um, the McLaren P1 was a very cool car. I really want a Seg one day. I actually think that'd be a really cool car to have. Yeah. You know, other than that, I gotta get an old Camaro now. I was never the biggest Camaro fan growing up, but now that I've I fell in love with the Z011LE, I actually love Camaros now. So I want to get an old school Camaro. I don't know which year. I gotta find. I gotta find a year that I want for a Camaro. Maybe it's a '72 or whatever maybe someone will tweet me now and suggest something but I'm, an old school Camaro is like number 1 on my list
0: i couldn't help but notice that uh, you and some of the other guys got a chance to do that uh american ninja thing
2: oh yeah american ninja warrior man what was the hardest part about american ninja no practice that's the hardest part <laughs> look this is how it works you got you get you get invited to go do this last minute well, i mean we we were lucky we got because they were coming to indianapolis and we're car drivers it you know they always bring some some people from the local areas are going to be to come do the show and check it out and be a part of it. And we were told like a week before, which is fine. It's really nice to be invited. So there's no practice. And then when you show up, you get to look at the course and they say, hey, what do you think of this? You know, we give it a little advice. Get to try it once. If you fall, thank you for coming. That's all you get. Okay. Really? So you get to try the course once and that's, that's all you're going to get. So if you're underprepared prepared it's really, really difficult to do it. I mean, it's very difficult. This show.
0: This is not the one where they like shoot things at you and all that.
2: No. Okay. Now, I I don't <laughs> I don't think so. Unless that would be a...
0: really bad too. I remember Amer- American Gladiators once. A yeah, time. that's what it was. Yeah, they, that's what it was. They used to hit pillows at you. So they don't do this.
2: No, no. no. This is just like a full-on rock climbing obstacle course. You know, where you got to basically, you have to have quite a bit of upper body strength. Rock climbers do the best at it but it's all tech it's not even it's not a fitness thing necessarily it's more a technique thing if you do not understand the technique of the course you're just get, you're going to fall you're going to you're going to burn yourself out cuz you don't know the technique and then you're going to fall
0: do you got a chance to do so many interesting things like you know do do the stuff where you're jumping on trampolines at basketball games and all this stuff which is great do you have something in your contract that says there are certain things physically you can't do that mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do
2: that's a great question i don't i don't think there's anything listed in my contract that says you can't do this specifically. Ah. Now, if you get injured and you can't drive the car, right. then it's on you. Now, there is things in the contract that say this is what's going to happen when you can't drive the car. Dun, 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 dun. So it's, it's one of those deals that you can do whatever you want, but you just have to understand the risks associated with anything you're going to do.
0: That's IndyCar driver Joseph Newgarden. Now, in case you had not heard, the SP for Best Driver did not go to Joseph, it went to NASCAR's Martin Truex Jr. Thanks to David at the Hollywood Show for helping us catch up with Victoria along with Mark Melvin. And we also caught up at the show with Michael Cole from Mod Squad fame, Shirley Jones from the Partridge Family, and Nikki Blonski from the movie Hairspray for their car stories, and they'll be on a future Talking About Cars episode, so watch out for that. Just a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to all of our podcasts here on radio.com, knx1070.com, or if you're listening on iTunes, subscribe to us, rate us five stars, please, and write a review. And make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch our videos on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, I'm Randy Creedon. Join me as we have some fun. Talking About Cars. Thanks to our friends at The Hollywood Show for their help with this episode of Talking About Cars with Randy Cardoon. See more at HollywoodShow.com.